for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Well, good morning, everybody. Anyway, without further ado, let's move on to uh, my subject for this morning. Um, I wanted to just start off with uh, reflecting on a, a couple of the, uh, the visiting speakers that we've had recently. Um, uh, it is uh, it's crucial, I think, to, to really take on board um, what we hear from these kind of people who just come through and we kind of give them half an hour on a, on a Sunday morning or in the case of Ben Goodman, we try and squeeze out as much of his time as we, as we can. Um, but these people really carry a very important anointing from the Father. Not, there's nothing special about them as individuals, but they carry something of God, um, an impartation um, that we can benefit from. And so I thought it would just be useful to, um, to, to link in what we've been hearing from, from these folks with, um, with what I want to share today. So um, Ben sort of provoked us really. I think, how much, if you really value something, what do you do about it? And how willing are you to actually find different and, and better ways of, of doing things? Um, and then he talked about our land being increasingly impacted by darkness, and, and, again, and that's a big link. We're going to look at Daniel for the, for the, the bulk of this morning, um, who lived out his life um, in Babylon, um, which was a pretty dark land. Um, but... In 2 Chronicles, we get, this, um, we get this clue, really, this kind of solution to the problem of, of living in darkness, um, where the, the Lord effectively gives us an answer. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land um, so I think it's just worth, as I say, just remembering it's been a little while since Ben's been through, but let's not lose um, the provocation that he left with us. Um, and then Karen came, and uh, really with apologies to, to Debbie Turnbull, when we looked at this in our community group, I genuinely thought this was a rhetorical question, and there she was waiting for us to answer it, and we're all sort of looking a bit dumb. <laughs> Can anybody remember what the answer was, apart from Debbie? <laughs> it's not a rhetorical question. Karen talked about the fact that her husband is not saved yet, so she describes him as an honourable atheist. He's just a nice bloke. He hasn't done anything wrong. Well, I'm sure he has. I mean, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. But um, what's the difference between us and people who are not saved, but who are just kind of decent, honourable people? Debbie thinks she can remember the answer. Go on. The presence of God. We carry the presence of God wherever we go with us. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. And wherever we go, we take God's kingdom with us. We're ambassadors and we're taking um, uh, who he is and, and his influence and what that means. It goes with us wherever we go. That's the difference. Not a rhetorical question. Um, Karen also introduced this idea of the difference between covert and, and overt ministry. Um, I don't, was that kind of new to anybody? Was it particularly encouraging? I found that quite encouraging because I think if you've been a Christian a long time, 
and you spent a long time around church, um, then sometimes you can, you know, you can kind of wonder what you're doing with the other six days of the week when you're not here or, or you're not a community group, and you, you kind of think, how much, how much does my life impact the world? You know, when when I go to work or school or, or whatever it is I'm doing, when I'm talking to my neighbours, um, what what real impact am I having um, if I'm not? Uh, explicitly sharing my faith. And so I think it's very encouraging to think of the ability for us to be um, secret agents, I think uh, was, was the phrase she used, for us to be covert in our operations uh, out there in the world. Um, so the, 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 the ability for us to just pray in tongues or for us to pray uh, on the way to wherever we're going um, or you know, if you've got the kind of job where you've got a diary that, that you kind of work ahead a little while, pray over these appointments that you know are coming up and all this sort of stuff. So I found that very encouraging. Karen's book and Karen's message is all around being called to influence. That was her big challenge and, and provocation to us, that each one of us is called to influence whatever sphere that we're in. Um, and so what I wanted to do today in, in looking at, at Daniel's early life was actually really ask the question, are we prepared for influence? Um, Are are we sufficiently ready uh, in and of ourselves that we can actually be influential um, in where we find ourselves? Um, Now, we all know know about uh, Daniel, the lion's den. We know about the fiery furnace and all the rest of it. But I want to just simply look at the first chapter. So uh, turn with me, if you wish. And... uh, I shall read the first chapter of Daniel in its entirety. Uh, Forgive any uh, mispronunciation. I have been practicing, but you never know on the day how it comes out. (laughs) In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king, this is Nebuchadnezzar, the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of, the law of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over them, please test your servants for ten days. 
Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Quite a a lengthy um, piece of scripture, but I thought I just wanted to draw attention to um, the beginning of this story because we're so familiar with things like the lion's den and the fiery furnace. I want to zoom in on who actually was Daniel, where did he come from, um, and what set him up um, for the the life that that he went on to live. the, the situation he found himself in, um, as we read, Jerusalem had been besieged by a foreign king. Um, that victory had been won, uh, and we can read in, uh, in Jeremiah, in fact, we probably will turn to Jeremiah in a little while, um, we can read how ultimately this was part of God's judgment and discipline over Israel, that he allowed that kingdom to fall for a time, and he allowed Nebuchadnezzar to, uh, to become very powerful uh, and to reign across uh, several kingdoms that, that he'd taken over. Um, so in the midst of this, Daniel, and, and some people suggest that he was probably only about 14, was t- essentially taken into captivity uh, and uh, indoctrinated into all the ways of, of this foreign kingdom. So if we think that we live in a, in a dark world and a, and a dark place, and I don't, I don't take anything away from what Ben was sharing with us, it's nothing really, is it, like the, the scenario that we see here. The life that we lead in Britain in 2018 is actually really quite an easy one um, by comparison. Um, so that's, that's the position that he found himself in. Um, but he served um, diligently and loyally. Um, we'll come back uh, in, in a moment to the question around what was going on with not eating the food and defiling himself. Um, but... Um, Other than that um, little interaction between the guards and the officials, what we see in the life of Daniel um, is somebody who served the masters that that he found himself under, um, recognised their authority, um, and because of that, he was shown favour. And because he was shown favour, he was promoted, and because he was promoted, similar to the story of Joseph, he then found himself with significant influence over what was a completely godless kingdom at the time. So my own little challenge and provocation to us this morning, um, if we find ourselves in situations that we don't really like, under authority of people that we don't really like, in godless uh, places of work, perhaps, in in a godless society, are we more likely to isolate ourselves uh, as Christians and uh, um, spend our time with one another? um, Or do we infiltrate 
the world? Do we infiltrate the workplace, the, the, the school, the hospital, the college, wherever it is um, that, that we find ourselves? Do we minimise contact with godless people, with the world, so that we're not tarnished by it? Or um, do we actually attempt to uh, get ourselves into the, the centres of influence of our modern world? Do we make a deliberate effort to get ourselves into the king's court, you know, of, in, in, you know, to, to use the analogy um, from Daniel? And when we do engage with the godless world that we, we live in, are we adversarial and confrontational? Or are we humble? As, as it says in, in Chronicles, do we humble ourselves? Do we pray? Do we seek God's face? Do we serve whoever it is that God has temporarily put in that position of authority? And I think temporarily is, is a key word here. One of the things that um, Daniel understood was that God was completely and utterly in control. So even though he found himself as a teenager plucked from the, the holy city and thrust into the service of this godless foreign king, he knew that it was temporary. He knew that God had placed Nebuchadnezzar in this position of authority for a time. Have I still got... Um, sorry, can we just skip to the next one, Caroline? Here we go. Um, I was in danger of jumping slightly out of order. Um, I like this little phrase. Um, Larry Osborne has written a book called Thriving in, in Babylon, which you can probably guess I've stolen a, little, a few little bits from. And I like the phrase, without contact, there can be no impact. If we believe that we really are called to change the world around us, if we believe that we really are called to go out and influence the places that God has placed us in, then we must have contact with them, otherwise we can have no impact. Um, Civil and friendly relationships with godless people are not an endorsement of their sinful values. So just because we associate people with people who live life differently to us is not a tacit endorsement of the way that they live their life. And I want this to be an encouragement to us to go out into the world uh, with your work colleagues, with your neighbours, whoever it might be that you're friends with, um, get to know them and, and, and enjoy spending time in company, just as Jesus did. We'll, we'll get on to the example of Jesus in a moment. Um, now, Paul wrote to the early church on this very subject. If you want to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians, I think I'll put up there, 1 Corinthians 5.9, um, just so that we know that we're on safe ground. Paul found himself writing this. I've written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat." What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. So 
the, even the Apostle Paul, in the, in the early days of the church, when you know, not that long since Jesus had walked, not that long since the disciples had seen all the things that Jesus had done, Paul had to address this confusion where um, there was a sense in which we mustn't be a part of the world. We mustn't associate ourselves with people who've got different sets of value to us. And Paul had to write and say, no, no, no. If, if that was the case, you wouldn't be associating with anyone. You'd have to leave this world. Um, and possibly, that's what some of us want to do. You know, possibly there's a sense in which, oh, it's so dark and so awful, if Jesus would just come back and we'd just go to heaven, then it would all be wonderful. But sadly, that's not really God's plan, is it? God's plan is for us to influence the world and to, and to impact people, to change hearts and, and draw them to him. Um, so, um, let's just have another quick look at um, Daniel and, and Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and I'm now turning to um, Jeremiah 27, which is where we get this little bit of context for what was going on in Daniel's time. This is Jeremiah 27, and starting from... Uh, where should we start from? Verse 7, I think. All nations will serve him. This him is, is King Nebuchadnezzar. All nations will serve him and his son and his grandson until the time for his land comes. Then many nations and great kings will subjugate him. If, however, any nation or kingdom will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, or bow its neck under his yoke, I will punish that nation with the sword, famine, and plague, declares the Lord, until I destroy it by his hand. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your interpreters of dreams, your mediums, or your sorcerers who tell you you will not serve the king of Babylon. They prophesy lies to you that will only serve to remove you far from your lands. I will banish you and you will perish. But if any nation will bow its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let that nation remain in its own land to till it and to live there, declares the Lord. So Daniel knew that this period of history um, was one that God was allowing to play out. And it wasn't a case of this godless foreign king Uh, is is such an awful person that we need to stand up to him, we need to be adversarial, we need to confront uh, everything about him. No, it was a case of God has placed him in a position of authority and as his subjects, we need to serve him faithfully, loyally uh, and well. Um, I don't know that I'll read all of the scriptures that I've put up here, um, but scribble them down. For, um, for your own sort of reflection and study. Um, let's have a quick look at Romans 13, though, to get another kind of New Testament handle. Romans 13. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. So that's encouraging. There is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God, just in case we weren't sure. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. 
Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. I wonder how often we think about our own government as God's servant placed there to do us good. Um, National, local, in, in whatever form it takes. I don't, did anybody see the survey that I think the BBC had done recently, the local elections coming up at the beginning of May? The BBC had done a survey that suggested um, bin collections were the most important thing to our nation in our upcoming local elections. It's quite depressing, actually, isn't it? And there's homeless people sleeping under the Stour Centre in Ashford. um, And I don't know that it was a local survey. I mean, it might be, clearly there have been particular issues in the Midlands around bin collections. But, you know, given the state of our world, uh, if bin collections are the most important things when when we go out to vote in the local elections, it's pretty sad. Um, So, bit of a challenge, bit of a provocation. Do we look at our our employers, the managers of the firms, the owners uh, of our firms as, as people that God has put in authority um, for us to, to respect and to serve diligently and loyally. Um, the same in the case of government and politicians. Do we, do we see that God has allowed them to be in place for a time, temporarily, um, and that it's, um, that it's our duty uh, as Christians to humbly um, respect them? and to be respectful towards them. Not because they deserve it, but because God has commanded it in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Um, A note of caution, of course, this kind of humility doesn't necessarily pay off straight away, or even at all. You know, in Daniel's life, he went through a significant number of trials. The lion's den and the fiery furnace come much later in the story. Um, If we look at... uh, we look at Joseph, you know, he was sold into slavery and then put in prison, as if one wasn't bad enough. Um, so living life this way doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to come up roses for you, but it is the way that God has instructed and commanded us to live, and, it, and it's the model um, that he's given us. Um, in Luke 6, it says, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. So, as if the ruling authorities are not bad enough, our employers, our managers, our company owners, our our enemies, we have to love as well. We do good to those who, who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. So just a a gentle provocation that if you're feeling mistreated at work or in society, pray for those who are in authority. Seek God's face. Now that's the kind of the the image I often have of of Daniel's from a child's Bible or or a children's story. Um, He's he's on his knees in his room with the windows open. Uh, and, and I think uh, the, 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 the rulers are trying to set him up, aren't they? They're trying to trap him uh, into, into doing something wrong so that he can get thrown into the lion's den. But this picture of him on his knees seeking God, um, 
for the situation that, that he finds himself in. Um, let's just move uh, along back into to the New Testament again and, and reflect on the Roman Empire. So this is the world um, that Jesus ministered to, and this is the world that the disciples ministered to, and this is the world that the early church was established in. No political freedom, no family values, sexual perversion was normal, it wasn't perversion, <laughs> it's just normal. Life was cheap, justice, well it wasn't really justice, because it was only if you were rich and powerful you could have justice for yourself. Rome tolerated most foreign religions. Rome was, was quite a tolerant place, as you can see. Anything went. Um, but they didn't like Christianity. So most foreign religions, okay, not Christianity. All but one of the apostles was martyred. But amongst all of that, the New Testament was not about changing government. You remember the early, early disciples thought that, that that's what Jesus was there to do? Jesus had come to overthrow Rome. It wasn't about that at all. It was about changing hearts. It was about changing minds. And then maybe the influence comes. You know, the early church spent a lot of time behind closed doors. But slowly, slowly, without any of the modern day technology that we have today, the gospel spread because hearts were changed. Let's have a quick look at... uh, Romans 15. No, actually, I don't think I've put a bookmark in that one. I've just written it out here. I want to return now to this, um, this question around Daniel not defiling himself with the king's food. Um, because clearly, there was a point at which he said, no, you know, enough is enough. There was a sense of wisdom in Daniel, the teenager. It's quite remarkable. There was a sense of wisdom that some things are okay and some things are not. So he served these godless people with with loyalty and diligence. We've already talked about that. Um, His name was changed. Um, And and some writers will tell us that that essentially the the name that Daniel was given honoured a demon, one of of the gods of uh, Babylon. Um, But there was something about this food that that was not right. And I'm not going to go into to all the, the history of that, but you know that God uh, set out for his, for his early people, you will eat this, you won't eat this. Remember, we're talking about Jerusalem, um, the holy city before, before it was besieged. Um, and so Daniel knew um, that this was, a, this was a step too far. Um, it says in, in Romans 15... We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbour for his good to build him up. And I think there was something in that, um, in that Daniel um, had, he'd recognised the, the value of the fear of the Lord. You know, Ben Goodman spoke to us about that as well, didn't he? Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Daniel had recognised something about um, we who are stronger bearing with those who are weaker. And therefore, 
he didn't kick up a huge great fuss about this food. He went first to the chief uh, and, and said, I don't want to eat it. <laughs> Can we eat something else? The chief said, oh, well, yeah, I'd like to help you, but I don't want to lose my head. So Daniel went to the next guy, the guard, who was in touch, who was over them, in charge of them, and said, well, how about a test? Can we just have 10 days? We'll eat something else and then see what we look like. So he didn't go on a hunger strike. You know, he didn't kind of paint placards and march around King Nebuchadnezzar's palace saying, we won't eat the food. He just sort of humbly and subtly, knowing that God was on his side, I don't suggest for any minute that he did it lightly. I don't suggest for any minute that he thought, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen at the end of this. He knew that God was for him, and so Nebuchadnezzar couldn't be against him. Um, Can we skip on a bit? I have gone slightly out of order with my notes. Um, yeah, this is really um, more in relation to do with the, with the Roman Empire stuff that we were looking at. Um, we need to be tolerant, ultimately, of the godless people that we live amongst. You know, we need to have forbearance, bear with one another. Um, but tolerance, modern tolerance, is about kind of nobody's wrong, everybody's right, live however you like, do whatever you want. And if you, so, if you stick a flag in the ground and say this behaviour is morally wrong... You're called a bigot. You're you're the one who's in the wrong. But actually, biblical tolerance isn't about that. Biblical tolerance is not, well, let's all just live life however we want. Biblical tolerance is about actually granting other people the right to be wrong. To recognise that not everybody lives life the way we do. Not everybody has the kind of values that we have. And that it's actually not our place to judge them. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians earlier... God will judge those outside the church. Our job is to engage, influence, love them. So I think the fear of the Lord and, and wisdom is, is a key um, to understand in, in every day, in every situation that you come across, is this, some, is this a battle I need to fight or is this one I can actually leave to God? Spiritual warfare is, is exactly that. It's spiritual. And we know, don't we, that God has already won the victory. We know that through Jesus' death and, re- death and resurrection, it's over. It's finished. We don't necessarily understand why, but in God's wisdom, we live in this kind of in-between time where Satan still has some power and some dominion. But he doesn't have ultimate power or, or ultimate dominion. It's over. So, as it says here, non-Christians are not the enemy. They are victims of the enemy, being manipulated, being used by the enemy. And what victims need is to be loved, to be rescued, to be saved. So if we just turn... Finally, to 2 Timothy 2, and I will leave it here. Two Timothy 2 and verse 24. Provocation from me this morning. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. 
Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Those who oppose the Lord's servant, that's us, we must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So as a little whistle-stop look at some of the aspects of Daniel's life that we maybe don't focus on too often, and a challenge and a provocation that the world out there isn't against us, actually, The devil is, and the devil uses whatever he can to to rage and to fight against us. But actually, the world out there is the world that God has placed us in to serve, to find favour, to be promoted, to influence, to love people, and to save them, and to, to draw them in to his kingdom. So I wonder if we can have the musicians up and uh, we can have a a bit of a time of ministry, if that has really touched a nerve with anyone. Or even if you're just finding it really hard in the the place where you work or the, the community that you're a part of, maybe you found listening to what I said this morning a bit difficult because of the, the, the situation you find yourself in. And this is, this is the time to reach out and to ask for God's wisdom and uh, to ask for his strength and his sustaining power to keep you.